Hello Skywatchers, thanks for listening to the Royal Observatory's Look Up podcast. I'm Dara and I'm going to highlight what to look for in the sky in September in this Cosmic Diary. We'd like to give a special mention and our thanks to Arno Hahn, one of our work experience students this summer, who helped put the astronomical highlights in this Cosmic Diary together for us. Now when you're looking at faint objects such as stars, nebulae, the Milky Way and other galaxies, it is important to allow your eyes to adapt to the dark so that you can achieve better night vision. Allow 15 minutes for your eyes to become sensitive in the dark and remember not to look at your mobile phone or any other bright device when you're stargazing. And if you're using a star app on your phone, then switch on the red night vision mode. The month of September marks the end of summer and the beginning of autumn. Although many might expect that autumn begins at the start of the month, astronomers use the autumnal equinox which occurs on the 22nd to signal the beginning of autumn. An equinox occurs when the sun crosses the celestial equator, a projection of the Earth's equator in space. At the autumnal equinox in the northern hemisphere, the sun crosses from north to south. The word equinox is derived from the Latin word iacus, meaning equal, and nox, meaning night. The hours of daylight and darkness will be at their most equal on the 22nd, But more importantly, we will begin to have longer hours of darkness from there on out, and so longer nights for stargazing. The Moon and Mars are two great naked eye objects to spot, and the pair will rise close together in the constellation of Pisces around 9.30pm in the east on the evening of the 5th, so they'll be low on the horizon by about 10pm. But wait until after midnight and into the early hours of the following morning, to see the two appear to get closer until they reach conjunction, sharing the same right ascension in the southern sky. At that point, around 6.30am, the moon will pass within half a degree of Mars, but by then the light of the rising sun may conceal the red planet from view. Both Jupiter and Saturn continue dominating the southern sky this month in the early evening for a few hours after the sun sets. If you've got your telescope to hand, then look to Saturn to spot its rings, and perhaps even point it to Jupiter to see the bands in its atmosphere. But another of the gas giant planets will be ideally situated for observation this month too. Neptune will be at opposition on the 11th. This means that the planet will be at its closest to the Earth, at its brightest all year, as a result, and visible throughout the night, with the planet reaching its highest point in the sky at midnight. It's worth a look, but you will need a telescope to see this distant ice giant. Deep sky objects are great to look out for too, as we head into longer and darker nights, especially at New Moon, which falls on the 17th this month. The North American Nebula, the Crescent Nebula, the Blinking Planetary Nebula, and the Fireworks Galaxy are all visible in the vicinity of the star Deneb in the constellation of Cygnus and are best viewed through a telescope. An ultra-high contrast filter may help you see these beautiful objects in more detail as they isolate and pick out specific wavelengths of light characterised by oxygen and hydrogen and these are strongly emitted by planetary and most emission nebulae. The corn full moon will be visible on the 2nd of September, 
The name comes from the early Native Americans, who would use the appearance of the September full moon as a sign to harvest their crops. But wait until a day or two after the first quarter moon, which falls on the 24th, to spot the eyes of Clavius. Clavius is a large crater, 231 kilometers across, that can be detected with binoculars, and at this time, shortly after first quarter, it appears prominently along the terminator towards the southern edge of the moon. While the crater floor is still in shadow, the rims of the two craterlets within it become illuminated, appearing as eyes. The craterlets Clavius C and D give the impression of a face staring straight at you, so grab a telescope on the night of the 25th, or maybe even the 26th of September, and point it towards the moon, which will rise in the southeast in the early evening, before it sets below the southwestern horizon as midnight approaches. On those nights, you'll also be able to find Saturn and Jupiter close by too in the constellation of Sagittarius. Now, if you take any photos of the night sky, please do tweet them to us at ROG Astronomers. You may also want to check out our Night Sky Highlights blog on our website, rmg.co.uk. But now it's time for our cosmic news. Welcome back to the cosmic news part of the podcast. Each month we like to delve into a news story that has broken in the astronomy community over the past month and explore the science behind it and the implications of what that new research has. Now, although in the past few months I've been focusing on news stories which in some way link to some of the biggest unanswered questions in space, with the exception of last month where we focused on the new missions that had just been launched to Mars, this month I couldn't resist returning to a story which caught the attention of many astronomers, both professional and amateur alike, late last year and into early 2020. But now there's an update. The exciting yet odd news about the star Betelgeuse that had been dimming significantly, leading to many people then speculating that it might be about to go supernova. Why did it undergo such dramatic dimming in late 2019 and into early 2020? And was it the lead up to a supernova event? We now appear to have some answers from a research paper released in August. Nobody knows exactly how a star behaves in the weeks and days before it goes supernova, simply because we haven't studied a star in the process. On average, we might expect something like three stars in the entire Milky Way galaxy to go supernova every century. That's three in 300 billion stars every century. Although there are billions of other galaxies in the universe, each with their own stars, which may undergo supernova, you'd still need to be studying those exact stars intensely in the weeks before they go supernova to catch the star in the act and be able to collect a good amount of data from it. When supernova occur, these extremely powerful events can outshine the whole galaxy they reside in for a matter of days, sometimes a few weeks, so they're easier to spot once they've occurred, but tricky to identify in the run-up. Astronomers have been able to sample stars around a year away from going supernova, which means looking back at previous data, we have managed to find observations or data about a star from roughly a year before it ended up going supernova. 
but not from within the days or weeks before it happened. Knowing what we know about massive stars, as they run out of their fuel, they contract under the force of their own gravity, so could appear to dim as they shrink, so many believe it's a precursor sign of a supernova explosion about to happen. Betelgeuse is a red supergiant star in the late stages of its evolution. It's about to come to the end of its life. And there's no doubt it will go supernova at some point. The question is when? Astronomers do admit that the chances of Betelgeuse going supernova anytime soon remain small, but they can't rule out for certain that it won't happen in the very near future. It will be sometime in the next 100,000 years though. It's the 10th brightest star in the night sky, so Betelgeuse is easily visible with the naked eye lying in the constellation of Orion. It's the star at the shoulder or the armpit of the hunter. At roughly 725 light years from the Earth, the light you see from this star today left the surface of Betelgeuse 725 years ago. That's how long it's taken its light to reach us. So we're looking at it today as it actually appeared in the past. This massive star is about eight times the mass of our sun. So it contains eight times as much material as our sun. But this super middleweight star is huge in physical size. If Betelgeuse sat in our solar system in place of the sun, it would engulf the four inner rocky planets and its surface would lie somewhere around the orbit of Jupiter, so it would probably engulf that planet too. Betelgeuse is estimated to be around 10 million years old. It's far younger than our sun at four and a half billion years. But because massive stars use their fuel more quickly, Betelgeuse has lived fast and will die young. When massive stars eventually run out of their usable fuel, they collapse in on themselves so violently under the force of their own immense gravity, and as a result, essentially rebound in a supernova explosion. That's the death of a massive star. So last year, people began noticing that Betelgeuse was dimming. But what's the timeline of this event? Well, November and December 2019 is when many people started to notice Betelgeuse was getting fainter, and this continued over the winter and until February 2020. This is when Betelgeuse became the faintest that it had ever been since measurements of it first began over 150 years ago. And at that point in February 2020, it was about 40% of its original brightness, so it had significantly dimmed. Then towards the end of February, it had stopped in its decline and increased to a level of brightness similar to the way it was in September 2019 before any dramatic dimming had occurred. Now, the research paper released in August, it was led by Andrea Dupree, the Associate Director of the Centre of Astrophysics at Harvard and Smithsonian. There's an explanation for the sudden dimming of Betelgeuse last year, and that's what they unveil in that paper. They've used observations from the Hubble Space Telescope and a few other observations courtesy of a couple of other instruments from before and during the event to put together a timeline and essentially work back to determine the cause of the dimming. 
Betelgeuse is a pulsating star, so it does brighten and dim normally with a pulsation period of 420 days. So during this pulsation, the surface of the star rises and falls. Complementary observations using the Stellar Robotic Observatory saw a blue shift in absorption lines when studying the spectrum of Betelgeuse, i.e. the surface was moving towards us, the star was expanding. Now a spectrum is basically what you get when you split out light into all its colours or wavelengths. You can do this by shining white light through a glass prism and you get the spectrum or colours of the rainbow coming out the other side. If the light has had to travel through some material, like a cloud of dust in space, on its way to you before you end up splitting that light out to get your spectrum, then what you see on your spectrum are certain dark lines. These would be specific wavelengths or colours of light that had been absorbed by that material, in this case, elements in that cloud of gas in space. With that light being absorbed, it does not reach you, it doesn't get to your eyes, so it appears colourless as a black absorption line. Essentially, your spectrum ends up looking like a barcode. Depending on whether the light source is moving towards or away from you, those dark lines appear to move more to the blue or redder end of the spectrum respectively, compared to where you would expect them to appear if the light source, in this case the star that's giving out the light, was not moving. So in this case, seeing a blue shift in absorption lines told astronomers the surface of Betelgeuse was moving towards them. That means it must have been expanding. When Betelgeuse's dimming started, the blue shift then got smaller and eventually the absorption lines were red shifted. That means the star was contracting. So the dimming was related to the pulsation of the star, but that alone could not be responsible for the extent of the dimming that was seen. So we know when stars pulsate, they can kind of dim and brighten, but what was seen, the amount of dimming, couldn't be explained by just that pulsation. With the Hubble Space Telescope, hot convection cells on the surface of Betelgeuse had previously been observed. Convection cells are self-contained areas in a fluid, something like a hot gas or a plasma, like stars are made of. And in this area of that fluid, you get upwards motion of warmer fluid in the centre, which is then balanced by downwards motion of cooler fluid at the periphery or edge of that region. So a star's surface is made up of many convection cells. If you ever look at a close-up image of the sun's surface, you notice that it has a, a patchy or grainy nature to it. That's the many convection cells that you find on its surface. Now in October and November of 2019, Hubble discovered a large amount of dense hot gas moving outwards through Betelgeuse's extended atmosphere. That's above its surface, and it was moving outwards at 200,000 miles per hour. Seen in ultraviolet light with the Hubble Space Telescope, a bright, hot blob of plasma was ejected from the emergence of a huge convection cell on Betelgeuse's surface. 
Perhaps it was the pulsation, the contraction and expansion of the star that managed to create a rippling effect that propelled this plasma out through the star's atmosphere. The ejected plasma material was two to four times more luminous than the star's normal brightness, so this was an energetic event. It happened about a month before ground-based telescopes noticed that Betelgeuse was dimming. So perhaps this outward-moving hot, dense gas was the precursor to this dimming event. Betelgeuse is close enough and big enough for the Hubble Space Telescope to resolve the star's enormous disk, so it doesn't just appear as a point of light like many other stars do, Hubble is powerful enough and the star is close enough that we can see it as a disk, as a circle, and therefore make out features like those convection cells on it. Conspicuously, the southern part of Betelgeuse, where this material had ejected from, dimmed, just as observers were noticing that the star was getting fainter. So it was determined that the dimming resulted from the outflow that Hubble had detected. But how did that luminous material, far brighter than the star's normal brightness, lead to a dimming event? Hubble helped resolve the case. Just like elements can absorb specific wavelengths or colours of light, elements can also emit certain colours or wavelengths of light when they get excited or given energy. By measuring the emission from magnesium in the atmosphere of Betelgeuse, Hubble detected an increase in magnesium emission in October 2019 in the southeast region of the star. And this was different to anything seen in the star's normal 420-day pulsation period. At the same time, the star abruptly began dimming. This continued until February 2020, and it is then that the spectral data from the Hubble Space Telescope appeared to return to normal. Because the Hubble Space Telescope was monitoring the star over this entire period and the timings match up, the outburst is suspected to have ejected a cloud of hot plasma. And it's been determined that as this ejected material moved further from the star, we're talking millions of miles outside the star, and had rapidly expanded outwards, that material then cooled to form an enormous cloud of obscuring dust grains, and so it shrouded the nearly dead star, making it appear dimmer from our earthbound perspective, as it blocked out a significant proportion of Betelgeuse's light for a few months until it eventually dissipated. All stars are losing material to the interstellar medium, and so we don't know exactly how this material is lost, but we know that other hotter luminous stars lose material and it can quickly turn to dust, making the star appear fainter. But in over a century and a half, this has not happened to Betelgeuse, so it's incredibly unique. Betelgeuse is currently up in our daytime sky, so it's now out of reach of the Hubble Space Telescope. Researchers are turning to NASA's Solar Terrestrial Relations Observatory, dubbed STEREO, to monitor the supergiant's brightness. Observations between June 2020 and early August of 2020 show that Betelgeuse is dimming again. 
This is over a year earlier than expected if we're going by Betelgeuse's periodic 420-day pulsation, if we consider that the last dimming event was only in February 2020. So Betelgeuse continues to be very carefully monitored for any other unexpected outbursts. Because no one has studied the lead-up to a supernova in detail, we can't be certain. But many scientists suspect that a dramatic drop in brightness could signify a star's demise, because as massive stars approach the end of their lives, they do undergo violent mass loss. They eject huge amounts of plasma from their surface. As we've determined with the case of Betelgeuse and other stars, that ejected material can cool and so form dust. This can then shroud that nearly dead star, making it appear dimmer before it perhaps is about to go supernova. So intense interest surrounding Betelgeuse ignited last year, and no doubt it will remain in focus for many scientific groups. And we would say that everyone should look out for Betelgeuse in the winter months here in the Northern Hemisphere, when it's back up in our sky, because the more information we can collect about it, the better especially if it happens to be observations or data that ends up being in the days or weeks leading up to it going supernova. And as mentioned, this could be at any time. The dimming was obvious to everyone last year when looking in the constellation of Orion. It was very weird. Betelgeuse was almost missing. At 725 light years away, the brightening and dimming seen from Betelgeuse today on Earth actually left the star in the year 1300. Remember, it takes over 700 years for that light to reach us. No one knows how a star behaves in the weeks before it explodes. And there were some ominous predictions that Betelgeuse was ready to become a supernova event. Chances are, however, that it will not explode during our lifetime, but who really knows? And hey, if it goes supernova today as you're listening to this podcast, we won't know until the year 2745, because it will take 725 years for that light to reach us. Perhaps then, something for our descendants to admire in the future. So there we have it, the reason why Betelgeuse appeared to undergo a dimming period last year. As we always like to get your thoughts on the story covered in the podcast, at the start of every month we do launch a poll on our Twitter account and for September we'll be posing the question to you of when do you think Betelgeuse will go supernova? Do you reckon it will be in the next 100 years? In the next 1000 years? In the next 10,000 years? Or within the estimated window of 100,000 years? If you don't already, follow us on Twitter. We are at ROG Astronomers and the poll will be up during the first week of the month. So don't forget to cast your votes. We'd love to know what you think. Last month, we looked at the recently launched missions to Mars and our poll concerned what people would most like to discover or witness when these probes arrive at Mars next year. Very few of you were interested in finding a new weather feature on Mars something that the United Arab Emirates Hope Mars mission might discover as it researches Martian weather features further. And although a few more of you were interested in hearing what Mars might sound like with the aid of microphones on NASA's Perseverance rover, and even witnessing the test flight of Ingenuity, the Perseverance rover's helicopter, 
By far, the clear winner was wanting to discover signs of past life on Mars. And it's a key aim of the Perseverance rover and the Chinese Tainwen-1 mission too. Thanks to everyone who voted in the poll last month. I've got to say, I agree with the majority vote there. It would be a delight to discover that life once existed on Mars. Remember, if you'd like a written account of the astronomical highlights mentioned in the Cosmic Diary section at the beginning of the podcast, then head to our website, rmg.co.uk, and search for Night Sky Highlights. There are images and tips included in the blog to help you with your stargazing. Now that's pretty much it for this month's podcast. I'd like to say happy stargazing and we'll catch you all next month for more Look Up. (laughs) 